Hey, one fans, Andy here. We're going to Cisco Live, and we can't wait to see you there. If we see you wearing an A1 or Cables to Cloud shirt at Cisco Live, we'll enter you in our giveaway that includes a bunch of cool prizes like an A1 branded Yeti cup and an OCG of your choice from our friends at Cisco Press. Don't have a shirt? No problem. Head to the link in our bio and grab yours today. See you soon. This is the Art of Network Engineering podcast. podcast will explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim to bring new information that will expand your skill sets and toolbox and share the stories of fellow network engineers. My fellow network engineers, this is a time for unity. You know what? Let me walk back my opening words. We are inclusive here on this podcast. Bring me your engineers, yes, but also bring me your admins, architects, and specialists, designers, desktop support, and help desk too. We are nothing if we are not together. Granted, I do apologize if you are one person that happens to have every single one of the roles I just mentioned above. <coughs> Christeni. <coughs> Only joking, we know that's your superpower. We need to not think of these roles as siloed entities, but as one cohesive unit functioning toward a common goal. We must put our petty differences aside and find some common ground that we can all agree on, like decreasing the stretch layer two deficit, or maybe even that wireless link budget. Our power levels don't need to be that high. Anyway, thank you for your time this evening, and remember that all are welcome here at the Art of Network Engineering. Thank you, President Tim. <laughs> Beautiful speech. Got my vote for another term. Oh, cool. Get this man. I thought back I was in fired office. on my first day. <laughs> uh. Well, good evening. I am AJ Murray at No Blinky Blinky. Full house tonight. Very exciting. We have more people joining us on the live stream audience than I think we've ever had. Uh, so, so this is uh, definitely a notable time in the podcast history. So thank you so much to our Patreons for joining us tonight. Dan at Howdy Packet. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, AJ. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing very good. What's, uh, what's new in Dan's world? Uh, just some more Palo stuff at the moment. Some ah. global protect. Rocking the Palos. Yes, buddy. Excellent. Excellent. At Tim Bertino, I think we'll see soon at President Tim. <laughs> On Twitter. You don't want to vote for you, me. Tim? <laughs> <laughs> if you if you had any slightest idea of what I've been doing with my campaign funds, you would not vote for me anymore. <laughs> anyway, AJ, I'm doing good. Uh, glad to be back again. Glad we got a full house this evening. It's going to be a good show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And last but not least, at Andy Laptaf, permit IPAndyAndy.com. Andy, how are you? Hey, <laughs> I'm I'm good. Is it man. Andy or Zandy? <sighs> been pretty Zandy lately. I was I, Zandy until about three days ago when we got a puppy, and this puppy's just kicking my butt up and down the street. <laughs> <laughs> all I do is clean pee off the floor. It's awful. Yeah, I saw <sighs> you put a poll out for some names on Twitter. Did you land on one? The kid, you know, the kids roll this roost. They, yeah, they named her Daisy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> She's Daisy. nice. Yeah, nice. I, I was, I was going to bring her in here, but uh, 
I have a rug in here and we had to pull all the rugs out, like the area rugs out of the house because she just, she pees on anything with cloth. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's not in here because I was afraid she'd go on the floor. But yeah, man, I'm, 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 I'm better than I've been in a while, AJ, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, I think we've all noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Should I apologize but, for? <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I'm starting to definitely wonder not. if there's so, a reason so, why. Yeah. Oh, he's good. He's good. <laughs> Tim and those leading questions. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is the part of the show where I should make my announcement. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's gonna What's be. going on, Andy? All right. So um, I have accepted a role at Juniper, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm going to be a product manager <laughs> of something they call cloud-ready data center platform. So... Um, I'm still trying to get my head around the role and I've spoken to a bunch of people who have reached out to me already uh, who work there, which has been really nice. So I, when this comes out, I'll have been there two weeks, but right now I'm in the middle of a month off. I, I'm two weeks, you know, through my four weeks off and I just took some time off hanging around the house. I went out to Colorado for a week, hung out with my mom and just, um, I, I was worn out and I don't know if burnout's the right term, but Anybody who listens to this show, I apologize for the whining that you've had to endure, but I've I've just been worn out for a while. So um, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Um, you know, as high level, I think what I'll be doing there, I'll, I'll have some input and some influence over the products and features that Juniper develops and releases. So really what I'm what I'm hoping to do, my intent is to take my experience as an end user, right, of networking products like all of us and try to make the networking world you know, just a little bit better. Um, if I can be the voice of the user and help drive some innovation that helps people like you and I, you know, I mean, everybody yeah. complains, right, about this vendor, that vendor, this thing doesn't do, I've done it myself. So um, yeah, that, that's that's the announcement. I'm super psyched. It's this huge opportunity. I'm really grateful for it. And um, I think I'm going to be uh, happy. <laughs> well, well, Andy, yeah. I, I want to be one of the first to kind of publicly congratulate you. Um, the, you know, as as the team of co-hosts, we talk, and I'm not joking, we talk daily, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe even hourly. <laughs> but if too much time elapses and we haven't heard from each other, I think we just kind of check in. And and so, you know, we've we've been on this, you know, roller coaster ride right along with Andy, uh, you know, and and so to finally be able to talk about it, to finally be able to congratulate you, I hope you're seeing the chats that are going on. Everybody's cheering for nah, you right now. Uh, that's um, awesome. You know, c- congratulations, you. man. So, will will this be? You know, if you're doing Juniper Data Center, you're probably going to be focusing on the QFX line. A little bit of everything, yeah. I, I know yeah. that the the team that I'm on, the QFX is their big bread and butter, and mm-hmm. I know they knocked it out of the or. Is it we now? I don't even know. <laughs> um, they, they slash soon to be we knocked it out of the park last year and they just crushed their their projections. So they're, you know, they're killing it. Uh, it's QFXs. I mean, I know in my in my previous role, we we consumed a lot of their gear that the, the MX is yeah. the QFXs, the ACXs. Um, I, I think we bought everything that they made. Um, and <laughs> you know, they Juniper has a, again, I don't know enough to speak, uh, intelligently about this yet, but they, um, they bought Abstra, which I've been looking at and that seems really cool. It's like a kind of automation slash fabric management slash GUI mm-hmm. kind of, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, I'm, 
by the time this comes out, I'll have been there a couple of weeks and hopefully I can speak more intelligently about, you know, what I'm going to be doing. I mean, I didn't know what a, it's really fun. Like we'll have to do another episode on this, but you know, I didn't oh, we know. Will. We will. Yeah. I, I didn't know what a product, I didn't know it was even a role. You, you know, I, truth be told, I love content creation. I, I was talking to people about TME roles, technical marketing engineer. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, people pay you to like create content. That's pretty cool. I mean, we get a lot of zeros here, AJ, but you know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> I, you it's know, not paying my mortgage I thought I compensated you well. I'm so shocked to hear that somebody does it better. <laughs> I'm kidding. This has been my f- most favorite part of my career, but because I love content creation so much with you guys, I thought, wow. So I was pursuing t- a TME role and then this product manager thing popped up and I got on the phone with, um, with this guy, Mike, who just blew me away. And, you know, again, that's not this episode and I don't want to take over here, but y- yeah, it's, uh, I didn't know what this role was a month ago, and now I'm like super stoked and super pumped, and um, I think it's going to be really exciting. And, and I'm excited to go to Juniper. I've, I've heard great things about their culture. Culture is mm. a big thing for me, which sounds funny because some of the places I've been at, I mean, just on Glassdoor alone, you look, you know, they're not they're not known for like, hey, <laughs> awesome cultures. <laughs> I'm not talking any smack on any of the previous places. I'm super grateful for all the opportunities I've been given. You know. Ju- this role doesn't happen if it weren't for the ones that I've come from and learned right. and cut my teeth. Right. And so grateful for everything, not trying to be that guy, you know, talking trash on, on people I was with, but yeah, man, thank you. It's, it's just really exciting. And I'm really glad to share it with, with everybody here. So, uh, you know, good things to come for sure. I'm probably going to be the annoying juniper guy soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, well, don't I, forget, I do want to, uh, I do want to echo everything that AJ said. And, and yeah, as soon as you said that Andy, I about got whiplash from the chat over here from from the patreons that was really cool to see the outpouring of support and i i just want to say man this is this is really cool to to see you get this this is there's not got to be a more deserving person uh, given everything that you've gone through and and oh. i mean you're such a hard-working guy you pour your heart and soul into everything and to see that payback and and hopefully in the long run help you and your quality of life and your family we're we're just really excited for you man Thanks, Tim. Not, not that this is the audience I want to gloat to, but no maintenance windows, no on call. That was coming from the guy that doesn't even like you. So, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, th- there's this running, there's this know, running joke that Andy thinks I don't like him. So, <laughs> if he only really yeah. knew. Well, that- <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, it, it, it looks I really like the it. Uh, it looks like the chat has turned. <laughs> they've turned Uh-oh. on you. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Mention that. I I haven't read the chat. I'm just focused on you guys. I'll, I'll catch up later. Fun. I'm feeling an edit coming up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Andy became one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a good one about a. There was a good one about a soapbox earlier. Uh, See, Manny knows what's up. He said the Zandy versus Dan rivalry. <laughs> he knows what's up. <laughs> he can sense. He can sense the tension. <laughs> well, congratulations, Andy. Why don't you take Thanks, some time guys. to catch up in the chat? And in the meantime, we'll uh, we'll check out who's in the winning channel this week, and then we'll come back and introduce our guest. And now it's time for some wins. This has to be the most winning, winningest week of the year. Just some amazing stuff going on this week. So let's get right to it. Network Trials has passed the AWS Certified Cloud Practitioner Exam. Congratulations. Black End 01 started a new position as a network engineer. This has been a journey five years in the making. They've been working in tech for a very long time, some time as a network manager. They got some certifications and they were finally able to pivot 
to a position as a network engineer, and they credit that to Andy uh, and his platform pushing physical labs. He said uh, once he put the physical lab on his resume, the hiring manager hired him and said that was the reason why he was selected over other candidates because he was working with a physical lab and putting in that effort. Congratulations, Black N01. Jacob has passed the CCIE data center exam. This is our first ever CCIE announcement in the winning channel. Congratulations, Jacob. Uh, EITJ has passed the CCNA. Huge congratulations to Jay. I've been talking to him for a very long time, watching his journey, and, and just so excited to be able to announce his CCNA win here in the podcast. So congratulations, Jay. Chris Glesner has passed the CCNA as well. Uh, Angel has passed the LPI Linux Essentials exam. Narut passed the CCSP PJ Spiro finished their master's in network technology. Congratulations. Peter Hunt passed the Oracle Cloud Architect Associate. J.R. Cortez 25 started a new position as a Unix systems administrator and also passed the Linux Foundation's exam. Nittany CLI made the Dean's List last, last semester. Congratulations, Nittany. And Ethan interviewed for a core network engineer position and was called less than two hours later after the uh, initial interview and was presented with an offer. So he's gone from first line support to network engineer to now core IP network engineer in just nine months. Congratulations, Ethan. Era Disabled passed the AWS Solutions Architect Associate exam. Congratulations. And our very own Andy Laptev, co-host Andy, has started a new position at Juniper as a product manager for cloud-ready data center platform. Congratulations, Andy. We are so excited for you and finally able to announce this on the podcast. Uh, so you're going to hear a whole lot more about it in this episode. So uh, congratulations, Andy. We are so excited for you. Thank you to new Patreons, Brandon Polker, Adam Palowski, Stephen Kay, Dallin Bryce, and Quinn Snyder. Thank you so much for your support of what we do here at the Art of Network Engineering podcast. If you're interested in joining our Patreon program, you can go to patreon.com forward slash art of net eng. And we thank all of our listeners for your support. We've had just an absolutely incredible year. We are looking forward so much to 2022. We wish you all a very happy new year, and we can't wait to bring some exciting new content to you. Now back to the show. All right, let's get going with the show. I am very excited to welcome our guest uh, this week. He is the author of one of my favorite books, Mastering Python for Networking. Please welcome to the show, Eric Cho. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, longtime friend, uh, longtime friend, and so it's it's good to good to be here talking to you guys in voice. Right, I, I'm always on on the Patreon chat, but uh, you know now it's talking to you guys in person, virtually. So that's great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know you're up to a ton, um, but I, I have to honestly tell you, this has been one of my favorite books in, in all my studies. Um, yeah, I think you, you really broke it down in a very consumable way. It, it's very relatable. 
uh, as far as approaching from a uh, network engineer perspective. So uh, I definitely keep this one on the shelf and, and reference them from time to time. Um, and, I, and I really want to thank you for all your support of, of what we do here on the podcast. And uh, I know that you have um, very graciously given away a few copies of your book and uh, you know, we just really appreciate everything you do for us, Eric. So, so genuinely, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, likewise, uh, AJ. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job and in creating this community. I, uh, to be honest, I've I've looked at and I've tried to join other communities and try to participate, but this is the one I choose to stick around for. You know, like the other communities are not. I mean, I'm I I don't want to. I don't want to, uh, you know, put down other community. I just say this, this one fits my brain better. fits my personality better. I always like a warm, mm. uh, encouraging sure. environment. Uh, I always feel like you don't have to put other people down in order to elevate yourself up. So I think this one fits that, you know, kind of mindset, right? Like it's always just, we're all just part of a part of this path. So there's no, no point in, uh, having a zero sum mindset. So I think this is a great community. And if there's any more I could do for, for guys, uh, it'll be great. And I'm, I'll be happy to, uh, you know, happy to contribute. I, hopefully I have, right. But, you know, I, mm. I, I want to do more. Careful, careful what you offer, Eric. <laughs> we might take advantage of you. Please do, please do. Just list them out, and I'll, I'll like try to knock them out and uh, do a put a checkbox next to it. <laughs> well, let's let's start. Um, where do you work now, uh, and and what do you do there? Yeah, so I work for A10 Networks now. Um, it's been I've been with A10 for about six. It's going down six years. Um, it's funny listening to Andy because I was a cable guy for about four and a half years. I was with Time Warner Cable. Um, I did the uh, I do the cable uh, run. I know Home Pass, you know, Doxus One O. I don't know UBRs, Universal Broadband Router. Those those are right up my wheelhouse. Uh, we grew that. We grew the the particular market that I was in. We grew it from about forty users to about twenty eight thousand users in about three years, two two to three years. So you know, we saw that growth wow. uh, when people were trying My to goodness. get the cable broadband. Um, so I was I was a cable guy, and I was also part of Juniper Networks, and it's a very decent company. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you one thing, right? Like, so decent, <laughs> it, it's a great, you got company. your glass door um, right here, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it's a great company. And, um, I'll tell you like, after I left, um, I left around, uh, I think June-ish timeframe. And I think they go by like the, uh, the accounting year to like June to June or something like that. But anyway, so the point was they actually gave me a bonus after I left, Right. So like I was entitled for that bonus, hmm. but um, but I chose to leave because of family you know, circumstances and needed to start a new job. So I wasn't expecting it. So after I started at the new job, my old manager called me up and he was just like, oh, you know, we appreciate everything you've done for us. Uh, you left on a good term and uh, here's some bonus. And, you know, I don't know if any company would do that, right? Like after you you left, you know, you, you're just mm. you're a stranger to them on the street. So, um, but Juniper was one of those companies that did that. So, you know, kudos to Juniper, and I wish you the the best of luck. Congratulations, and you know, I I, I wish you all the best, really, just like the rest of the patrons and the rest of the, the hosts on the so, show. Thank you, Eric. So, just for context. I've been working a long time and I've never received a bonus. <laughs> so the fact that I'm going to a company who gives bonuses to people after they quit, 
Two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never heard of that. I mean, obviously, it's not unheard yeah. of now at this point, but that's that's pretty I'm, cool. I'm just excited to receive my first bonus. <laughs> nice. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and they're very down to earth. So yeah. I used to work in... So when I was working for Juniper, I was actually in the headquarter, right? So Juniper has this weird structure where there's like building one, two, and three, and two is actually the headquarter. Uh, one and three were on the side, so which is kind of weird structure. But I was in uh, building two, and that's where the cafeteria is. So people would come from all three buildings, go to the cafeteria. I see the CEO there all the time. I see the all the you know management. I always feel comfortable walking up to them, just shoot some breeze with them. So it's it's a very I mean, granted, this was like, uh, I forgot what it was, like 2005. But I, I think, it, like you mentioned, culture matters. It comes from the top down. So uh, hopefully they kept that culture and it seems like they did. So it's 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 cool. Hey, man. Thank you. So um, you, you said you're at A10 Networks now. What, what, what do you do there? Yeah. So I am actually a security researcher. So A10 is a uh, kind of mm. F5 competitor. So F5, you know, A10 starts with low balancers. They now call it ADC uh, application. I don't know what these, but, you know, but anyway, so F5 has the biggest market share. It's like more than, I don't know, whatever percentage. And then uh, Citrix, I think is the second uh, biggest market share for ADC providers and A10 oh, is number three. Um, however, we're pretty big in Japan. So I, th- I, I want to say we're, we're number one in Japan as far as market share because of relationship, previous founder, that sort of stuff. So, um, so that is what we do for the majority of our, uh, I guess revenue stream, but also, um, ADC is not, uh, shall we say like a growth market. So, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, heavily pivoted into security. And so our other product line is uh, DDoS prevention. So I work in that group. So we started, um, you know, almost started along with that product on um, the TPS product line. Um, but right now, I'm actually, so I was, when I first joined them, I was in professional services and I was in SE handling one of the top accounts. And then, um, and then I left, I went back to Azure Microsoft Azure, and then um, and then I came back to A10 to start with my manager uh, on the security research team, and um, it's been six years since we did that. We grew the team from just me and him. It's a it was a brand new team, security research, and we grew that team to about five, soon to be six people. Uh, it's been fun. So uh, I, I should say I'm wow. probably just like a, a plumber, so, right? Like whatever is necessary to to get the job done, I'll do. So I do, <laughs> you know, application development. Um, I do a lot of DevOps stuff. Um, I talk to the customer. Um, I talk to vendors and just do all kinds of stuff. Like whatever it needs to be done. Like it's almost like we have a startup mindset because it's such a small team. So I would like I would go physically rack and stack stuff, and I would go and talk to. At the same time, I would talk to our top customer and trying to sell our service and tell them why we're better at, you know, our competitor or whatnot, what's our advantage and so on. So that's just, you know, kind of in a nutshell, I want to say I'm just a janitorial staff. So you hit on, you hit on kind of a a hot button trigger word. I'll take, I'll take Dan's phrase. You you triggered me. Uh, And and you mentioned DevOps. So you said you you did some DevOps. Can you kind of give a, a high level explanation of, of what DevOps is and what you were doing to make it work? Well, and also to just to add on a little bit to Tim's there is, and how does that, how does that relate to security research? Yeah, that's it. That's a good question. So DevOps is 
pretty big topic, right? So I'm not sure if we could cover all of it. But to me, DevOps is a combination of development and uh, ops. So you have to take both of them at the same time. So you look at things in the systematic view. So if something you do is great for development, but sucks for operations, then it's, it, it, it doesn't do a good, good, good grade, right? But if something is good for operations, but very bad for development, then that too is not a, uh, a good, a good DevOps principle. So I would say DevOps, the first principle is look at things in totality. And the second is to do fast iterations. So you do small changes all the time. So you could back out and, uh, implement stuff, um, at a rapid pace. So, I don't want to do the Facebook, you know, move fast and break stuff, but that's almost, you know, kind of the common way of thinking about it, right? You want to do incremental small changes. And then the third part is the feedback. So you want, once you do the feed, do the change, you, you want to get the feedback immediately. So you know how well it did or how well it did not do, and then either roll back, continue and so on. So you just kind of rinse and repeat these three things, system, system view, a quick iteration, and then feedback. So the, those to me are the, the the kind of the three pillars of DevOps. And for me in particular, when I when I say DevOps, because um, it's kind of tricky doing security research, especially if you have a small budget. So we work with multiple cloud providers. So we we try to make everything OpEx as opposed to CapEx. We don't have a lot of money to spend and we need to do things really quickly so we know whether it works or not. And then so we either continue or we back out. And we probably, since the start of this team, we're probably back out just as much project as we have going on. It's kind of a 50-50 split. So in my day job, I try, we try a lot of different things and just to see whether it works or not, whether it's honeypot, whether it's, you know, interaction with the, uh, command and control center, whether it's trying to decode, you know, some kind of vulnerability. So we, we try a lot of that and we try to do everything in OpEx. So therefore the end result is actually we work with maybe four or five different cloud providers. And so logistically, that makes it very difficult, right? Like you, you, you don't have something that works across all, all of them. So you do have to be agile. You do have to be um, kind of find common places. I've certainly made my share of mistakes, uh, but also I learned a, a lot of lessons along the way. So uh, I hope that answered the question, but let me know if something is not clear. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for going through that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Eric, I want to go back in time to a place where maybe you didn't know anything about network automation. <laughs> or what a DevOps was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was like yesterday? Or <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, <laughs> I, I definitely um, was a network engineer in the very, very traditional sense. So, when I started this field, I worked for a, uh, a small ISP back in Southern California. So, that is when I first started knowing what you know, networking was or what an Ethernet was, uh, Cat5, that sort of stuff. And so uh, when on the traditional route, like the Cisco CLI, so the way uh, this was 2000, right, the turn of the millennium. So the way to move forward was actually to get more and more familiar with Cisco. And Cisco provides you with this, you know, nice path of certification. So I went and get my CCNA, got my MP. I got a bunch of CCMP specialization. In fact, I think 
at one point I have all the NP specialization that they offer. It's like security, voice over IP, whatever. Um, wow. And then um, I went on to uh, went out to get the IE back in 2008. Um, but at, at 2008, I was already working for a top cloud provider. I was working for Amazon. So at that time, you know, they were really pushing the boundaries and um, they were aggressively moving away from any, you know, like vendor based technology. So, um, so it wasn't offer me, it, it did not offer me any additional value to continue to pursue like DEs. I mean, in fact, I don't think DE existed back then, but, um, but I did renew my CCIU ones. And then when it comes to renew again, it's just, it was just like, you know, there's so many other stuff that I had to do and take priority. So I decided not to renew it. So my, so right now I could, not claim I'm a CCIE because it expired like I don't know back in whatever. But two two four six zero. I don't think anybody could take that number though. <laughs> <laughs> it is retired. It is retired. It will go to the nice. stove, uh, grave with me. I, I hope, but um, I don't know. <laughs> but, but Eric, it was, was it hard uh, to let that expire? You know, I thought it would be, but it wasn't really that hard because at the time, I think I was mm. very headstrong into network automation already. And, um, you know, it was just like, you only have so much brain space, right? So my brain space were already like half of it yeah. was work and the other two thirds was automation, like Python automation. How do I get this done? So that doesn't really leave a lot of space for like worrying about um, certification and all that. And I would say, you know, for companies such as Microsoft and Amazon, which was, you know, basically the two companies that stayed for 10 years, um, certification really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it was, it was like, oh, it's nice. Uh, especially if you're already in, right. If you're already in, it's like your, your value is based on the, the trail of work that you've done rather than, you know, like external validation. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, I don't know if I don't, I don't know if I would piss people by saying this, but I would say these cloud providers, they live in their own bubble. Right. And in a way they have their nose up a little bit. So it's almost like, Oh, you know, yeah, it's nice that you're CCIE, but what about X, Y, and Z, right? Like, what about this this thing that we thought <laughs> was so cool and like we're pushing the boundaries and, you know, we're we're changing the world and, you know, thumping the chest kind of stuff. So it wasn't really hard to let it expire. I, I would have to say when you're in that environment, you kind of take that mindset as well. Now that I'm not, I know they're in a bubble. I know they're, you know, there are a lot of stuff that's unrealistic about them, um, but at the time, it wasn't hard to let it expire. So if I'm hearing you right, Eric, you, you kind of made it sound like the cloud environments made you start to think more vendor agnostically. Is that also what pushed you into network automation, that you had to do things more quickly, more efficiently, or what really pushed you toward automation? Yeah, well, it was to survive, really. <laughs> that, that was the truth. Um, I I, uh, I told about this story on on uh, David Bumble's uh, once one time, but um, but I'll repeat it again. So there was when I joined Amazon, it was like six months into the into the job, and um, 
uh, I was in this group uh, troubleshoot. There was like an issue that came up and me and this other person were both troubleshooting this issue. And we're trying to find out whether it was a networking issue or not. And uh, we're both looking at just tons and tons of logs. And uh, we're trying to make uh, make ways out of this this just jumble of information. And um, I I just I struggle with it. I was trying to troubleshoot, and this other guy was just like, "Oh, you know, f this. I'm just going to write some script." And then so he wrote like a pro script, and um, went through all the locks. And to prove that it wasn't his issue. So it was just like, and he went on at five. Mm. And me, on the other hand, I was like looking at network logs. I was, I was trying to correlate the timing between mm. like different devices. I was looking at a monitoring tool and I stayed like four additional hours or something like that. And I don't, I don't think I even, even solved it. It was like four hours. I was, I almost died. I was be like, I better just go home. So it was just like, oh my god! It's like I gotta get me some <laughs> almost of that died. Magic. <laughs> yeah, it's just like crazy, right? Wow. And then so I was like, okay, I gotta get me some of that pro magic. But um, yeah. but it wasn't like smooth selling back then, right? It wasn't smooth selling ever since. It's like, oh, I discovered pro, and then now enlightenment. It wasn't like that. It was just like I struggle with Pearl. Um, it doesn't fit my brain. It almost feels like, you know, um, there was this book called Learning Pearl, right? And it was like it's thin. And I feel like every time I, I want to write a new script, I have to open up that book again because I would just immediately, I wrote my first script. Mm. I resisted so much. I would just close that book and forget everything I've learned. And then next time I would need to write another script, I need to go go get that book again and then you know, it's the camel book. I still remember the cover. I remember like it was blue and I so hated that book, but I, I needed that book. And so <laughs> until I found Python, so Python really kind of stuck with me. I think just the way they structure it, um, the way that, uh, the, the community behave or, you know, the syntax was, was presented, um, like really st- stuck with me. So I think, because of where I'm in now, like a lot of people ask me, you know, should I learn Python? Should I learn Golang? Should I stick with Perl? Like whatever it is. And um, my answer is always be to find something that fits your brain, right? Like go give it a shot. And uh, there's no religion mm. here. If there's something fits you better, then go for it. You know, learn how you learn. And that's the most important thing. Um, because I was that way. Like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't write a Perl script if my life depended on it. So... Eric, I, I think you said something important in there. Well, you said a lot of awesome things, but um, when when you like for me, when I saw AJ wave his magic Ansible wand once in a demo, it's the first time I saw automation and realized what it could do for me. You know, like when you saw your buddy, because I I troubleshoot the same way. I, I do everything manually. I go through logs. It's awful. You're trying to correlate. I mean, I, I think that rings true. You know, for a lot of people probably listening. But when you saw that guy just run a script. I mean, my jaw dropped when you said that he ran a script and proved it wasn't his network. I'm like, holy crap, like that sounds amazing. Um, and, and even at my last job, I mean, we're, you know, they're running an MPLS network. You got to touch like 36 devices anytime you touch the network. And I watched mm-hmm. this Python magic that they built. I mean, it'd just be untenable. I couldn't touch four dozen devices every window to update all the LSPs, but poof, Python. So I'm, I'm just saying that once you see that, like, oh my God, look at this. Because prior to me seeing that magic that AJ did or the magic at work, 
it's like, what is this? And what am I going to do with this? And it's also confusing. So just for me, that's been a real helpful thing. And I'm nowhere near. I have a lot to learn, right? But um, I'd also want to call you out, like in your community engagement. I mean, you reached out to a couple of us and offered to help personally, you know, with, with our Python journey. And that just really, not to take us off, you know, off track here, but I just think it speaks to, you know, you're a busy guy, you're an author, you have a job, you know, you have a family. And then you're like, hey, guys, if I can help you one on one, let me know. I mean, that just really, I, I really appreciate that. And I just want to thank you publicly because I think that says a lot about, you know, you and how much you care. So, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I um, think when, I, yeah, uh, I was, I was going to say, I think one thing for me uh, where automation really comes in uh, or wows me, I guess, is when there's something that's just a pain in my ass and it's repetitive, I have to do it several times. That's whenever it's like, all right, we're going to figure this shit out. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we're, that's that's when I start going to trying to, I'll be a script kitty. I don't care. You know, yeah. you call me what you want to, <laughs> but I'm going to figure something out in that sense. And it sounds like that, that was kind of your scenario there that, you know, you, you were running through all those logs and apparently about killed you. I've never seen logs kill anybody, but <laughs> I believe you. Um, <laughs> but, so it, it sounds like something, you, you know, you, you had a major pain and then that like triggered your, I mean, cause, cause that, would you, would you say automation was kind of a life changing event for you? Because I mean, now you've wrote a book about it. Now, you, you know, you're, you're diving so deep into this. So from that pain in your life, like you transitioned into something completely different. That's just, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So I think um, to answer that question, I think I could go back to what Andy was saying as well, which is context matters, right? Like you, if you look at something, if you, if you could see a mirror of yourself and the problem that you could solve, then it becomes mm-hmm. so much more motivational. It becomes so much more relevant to you. You're solving the problem in front of you. So I think context matters. Um, but when I first started in, you know, a pro land or, or getting in touch with Python, there was no context for network automation and Python. I think, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Edelman. Um, so I think, I think he had the, he, he was, Jason, in pro- yeah. yeah, Jason Edelman. He was in the process. Sorry. He was, um, he was the guest on my show, but <laughs> anyways, so Jason <laughs> had the, um, had the O'Reilly, like he, he wrote like a, a booklet on the O'Reilly, but he started with that. And then he was in the process of making it into the, the, uh, eventual book that O'Reilly had, but he was delaying it for like three years and he was in the process of doing that. And I was mm. the, the tech reviewer for the first 50%. Um, but at the same time, there was no other context for using Python for network automation. There was no NetMiko. There was no uh, Napalm. There was no Nonier. There was nobody else, really. I mean, I'm sure somebody else was doing it, like Jason, for example. He, he with his, you know, 1PK and, uh, and all that. But, you know, somebody else was doing it, but nobody was publicly saying how, like, this whole path, right? So... So I sat down and like, okay, I sure poke myself in the eye a lot. I sure, you know, bump my head against the wall many, many times. How about if I just like summarize Mm. them? So to have this representation and to say, well, you know, here's, here's all those things. Here's the, this book that I wish I had when I started out this journey. And so my target audience was the younger Eric when he started this. So to you know, each of your question to, to Andy. Yes. So 
contacts matters. Absolutely. Like now that you see all these other people are doing network automation and Python and we could carry each other up and help each other. That's great. Right. And then of course, to Dan's point that, you know, you have to um, solve the problem in front of you. And obviously it, it changed the trajectory of my career for sure. And thus, you know, by extension, Mm -hmm. my, you know, my, my family, my wife and, um, going along that publication line, you know, so I, uh, you know, of course you always want to improve and, uh, you want to take more control of your content, um, and so on. So, you know, getting into self-publishing and all of that. So, Yes, that that was that started it all. It changed everything. It changed my trajectory. Network automation changed my life, and um, you know now I get to talk about it with awesome guys like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess while we're talking about it, like what what was kind of like the catalyst that directed you to creating the book? Well, you know. Um, like I said, I think, I think representation matters and context matters. Um, it's just like, you know, when people talk about, uh, female representation in network engineering, when people talk about, you know, minority representation in upper management, um, context matters, representation matters. So what I really wanted to do was to go out and show people that there's this, this, I mean, I understand data science is cool and like, um, you know, uh, just straight up programming is cool. Web development is cool. Security cool, which all exists within the Python realm. But I don't see anybody out there on the mountaintop waving the flag and say Python could be used for network automation as well. So that was the biggest driver is for me to go and say, um, here it is, right? Here's something that I thought was cool. And here's something that I've been pursuing. And hopefully somebody else will find it useful. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story, AJ. So when, when packed, so the whole thing that led to the book was because I, I've been blogging about, um, you know, these, uh, these stuff that I've been doing mostly SDN and one of the, uh, article on open flow ranked pretty high on Google uh, at one point. So they, uh, so Pax saw that they reached out and said, did you want to do a book? And I'm like, okay, good. Um, networking for Python. And, uh, I actually, you know, even after we finalized the the detail, I went back into Pagnus and said, are you sure this is what you want, right? Like, because networking in Python could be like server networking, could be like sockets, could be UDP streams, TCP stream. And that's what most people think of when they say uh, Python and networking. So I went on a double check with them and go, are you sure? I'm happy to write a book, but are you sure this is what you want? This is okay. And they came back twice and said, this is fine. And I'm like okay, but nobody's, nobody's going to buy it. Right. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was, um, <laughs> so I wrote the book really, really quickly before they find out they made a mistake. And I even thought about, um, per- I, I calculated the break even point for the publisher. I'm like, they gave me a chance. I shouldn't make, they shouldn't lose money on it. Right. So, so I even calculated the break even point. I'm, I'm like, okay, six months after the book published, if it doesn't hit this point, then I'll probably spend my money, my own money and um and buy half of that quantity so they don't lose so much money so that was how insecure i was and how unsure i was of the topic but um but of course you know it it found an audience and i'm uh super great grateful for it um you know thank you guys for your support oh yeah of course of course now 
did you hit the break even point? I think I, never <laughs> I did. I did. But um, uh, the funny thing was, I think two weeks before the book was published, the first edition that was, um, I saw the uh, I, I saw the the creator for the request package, and he was also the co-author for a Hitchhiker's Guide for Python, I think. So he actually said he was going to donate all of his book proceeds to. Pie girls to promote, you know, uh, programming STEM, uh, you know, education for for ladies in tech. So I was like, okay, if he could do that, I could do that as well. So so I'm actually, you know, then I actually, uh, you know, very publicly on the blog say, uh, I said I'm going to donate all of my proceeds to to charity and all of that. So so it did hit the break even point, but it it did not benefit me financially. Uh, which is which is great, you know. I, I'm happy to happy to do that. That's really so cool. Of you. What what was the charity that you you put all the proceeds to? So it was it was a combination. So I actually um, I don't want to just blindly donate money. I want to know what the charity does, what the purpose, the driving toward, and so on. So sure. initially, what I did was I asked the um, people who helped me, like my uh, my manager or the book reviewer or the editors, what they're passionate about. And then, you know, if there's a particular charity that they want to do, uh, donate to. So they would say, oh, you know, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't, I, I like UNICEF uh, or somebody else was saying, you know, I feel, feel very passionate about homelessness or, you know, the environment. So I would make contributions to each of those. And then later on, I would um, go out and research some of the, some of the charities, um, and I have a default charity, which is the Tsuji Foundation, which is a, um, a Buddhist compassion relief foundation that does a lot of charity work. So that's my default for uh, donations. Um, but some of the other charities is, you know, whether people, you know, whoever I bump to, like, for example, if, um, you know, Jason Gooley, who was on your show and he was on my show and I asked him, you know, afterwards, what are some of the, uh, you know, homelessness was his biggest uh, passion project at the time. Um, so, you know, make donation to there. Um, I think I, I, I started try, I started blog post and track all the charities I donated to up till like March of 2019 or something like that. And then I just got lazy. I still do it, but I just don't, don't, you know, track it <laughs> and like, you know, I, I don't want to feel like, you know, like, look at me, you know, I'm doing all these great stuff. I just want to make sure right. like they're accounted for. And I think by that time, people should know I'm serious about it sure. um, and so on. So is, is that still in place today? So if somebody buys a copy of the book, are you still making donations to, to various organizations? I still do it, but um, but it's not 100%. So the first two edition, the first edition and the second edition sure. is 100%. But starting from the third edition, I start to have some overhead, like, you know, hosting my own site, um, you know, doing the podcast hosting mm -hmm. and all of that. So those starts to have a cost, Um associated to them. So I would, you know, mm -hmm. and, and again, I, I, I don't want to feel like I, I want more publicity or like, Hey, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm so great. That sort of stuff. So I don't say anymore, but I still do a large chunk of it to charity, but I reserve the right to like pay, pay the podcast hosting company instead. So, uh, so for the third edition, it's not a hundred percent. And for the, uh, the Kafka book, is I, I haven't even seen a dime, but when I do, you know, that will, certain part of it will go to charity as well. It's just like, I want to be more low key about it. Sure. Sure. 
I mean, you're, you're trying to grow the brand and then you can continue to give more back in. It's, it's like a balancing act. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, if you, you gotta have a platform, you gotta cover those costs. And, and I think we, we do the same thing here, right? Like we, we have, we have the Patreons, we have our merch sales and stuff like that. So we cover our costs and then we'll go ahead and, and give the rest back to community. And so, yeah, we, we feel you, we feel you. Yeah. So I think it's, <laughs> hey, it's interesting. Um, oh, go ahead. No, please go, go there. No, I was going to say, like, when I talk to other content creators, they get it, right? Like, or open source project maintainers. Mm-hmm. It's like some dude is doing in basement, you know, donating his time writing these open source projects, but they're not really getting compensated for it, even though like thousands of people use uh, use their project. So when I talk to other content creators, when I talk to other creators in general, they get it. But there's a certain portion of you know like the audience out there who think open source should just be free or you know content should just be free or like you know creators shouldn't make any money because you know they they build their project upon other projects which is very true right like if the open source community doesn't exist my book wouldn't exist right like it it leverages all these knowledge so it's very true but it it's also about sustainability, right? Like you, you have to pay the bills. You don't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be retirement money or it doesn't have to be, you know, millionaire money, but you still have to sustain your operation. You still have to have a reasonable amount of yeah. standard. So when I talk to other content creators, they, they tend to agree with me, but I also met people online who's, you know, kind of against the idea of content creators, you know, making profit out of it. Like anytime doesn't matter if you're discounted 99% or it's like, no, you're making 1%. You're make, you're, you're getting a dollar out of that, uh, you know, 49.99 book. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, it's, it's, um, um, I hey, think it's a balancing that's, act. That's a whole other episode. I think I, that I could talk <laughs> to you for an hour about that, Eric, like valuing your time. Right. I mean, I have instances in my life where I didn't value my time enough to charge friends or family for services that skills that I have. And then the, you know, when they need, <laughs> you know, when I need something from them, you know, they come out and help me and then I get charged. So like the difference really is <laughs> I didn't value my time and they did. Right. Right. I mean, that's the difference. So we, we, yeah. we set our, we set our price and I don't think you should be time is the greatest resource we have. And if we're spending time creating content, writing books, like you said, I mean, there's no shame in being compensated for our time because we have, you know, specialized skills. I, I wanted to go back really quick and, and I apologize if you touched on this. Maybe I was reading um, Patreon comments so we could cut this out if you did. But you, you said something that caught my attention. You know, you're, you're this heavy hitting, very smart engineer, Python author guy. And you said you were a cable guy at one point. Right. So my ears perked up. So then I started researching. I mean, stalking you on LinkedIn. So ha- how does a finance major you know, how did you go? Like, you're a finance major. You were a cable guy. You became a network engineer. How? Because a, a, a lot of our listeners, you know, how do I get in? How do I get that job? How do I? And and I've had a ton of people come to me because I put out a video about, hey, you know, how I went from cable guy to network engineer. Like, that's not an easy jump. Mm-hmm. So your 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 origin story kind of gets caught my attention. How? Was cable guy before college, after college? How did you go from cable guy to network engineer? I guess is the question and all that rambling. Yeah. So how long do you have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'll try to do it in five minutes, right? <laughs> so um, um, 
So the, the biggest thing I think I would recommend people to do is to do internships and to try out the things that you think you want to do um, as much as possible. So when I was in college, I'm always working in work studies, internships. So I intern at various locations. I intern at Kmart out of all places, right? So I was, I was in retail. I was at Kmart for an internship for one semester, uh, uh, one quarter. And then I interned at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter for financial wealth management because I was a finance major. Um, and then I, I interned at a local ISP. So, um, oh, I should say mm. I was a finance major, but I also was an MIS minor. So I think there was like a total of two people who was a finance major, also MIS minor. But um, <laughs> but I also have this like <laughs> multi-interest and even, even my major was... F, like at Cal Poly was FRL, so finance, real estate, and law. So I study all three and then I have a minor on computer. So I have this like mm. multi-interest level that I always want to explore. And then, so I did all these internships and I found out that I hated finance, right? Like I hated, uh, you know, just, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't like it. Right. And I think one of the things that stood out to me really yeah. big at the time was in finance, it's really at least at the time, it was a lot about seniority. It was about relationship building and like pay your due when you're a junior financer mm -hmm. and then move your way up until you manage bigger and bigger <clears throat> portfolio and so on. Um, whereas when I was inter interning at an ISP, it's like you could make an impact right away, right? Like I was... I was like building kernels. Mm -hmm. I was taking customer calls. I was handling a lot of projects that I feel I made an impact on. So, so I decided, and also, you know, this was the year 2000. So I, I graduated in 2000. So the few years before then was a dot-com bomb, a dot-com boom, right? It eventually became the dot-com bomb, but it was dot-com boom. So, um, so it was so much easier to get a job, to get a meaningful position in, uh, in tech uh, than in finance. So, you know, so that internship in the local ISP turned into a full-time position. And from that full-time position, I sort of um, outgrew um, outgrew the uh, outgrew the position, and at the time, Time Warner Cable. It wasn't even Time Warner Cable. It was uh, Roadrunner. So Roadrunner was a joint venture between multiple MSOs, which is cable companies. They pull their money together, and they put they build like kind of this uh, backbone that they all share. So like Bright House and Time Warner Cable, AT and T Broadband. Um, and uh, Adelphia. I, I don't even think Adelphia back then. But anyways, so a bunch of cable companies uh, built Roadrunner and uh, they were launching markets in each of these uh, uh, cable cable locations. So at the time they were, they were saying, hey, you know, who wants to move to um, California desert to launch this Roadrunner service? And um, people with family didn't want to go because it was the desert. Um, more senior engineer, like, you know, they have plenty of options. They didn't want to go. So I was there and I, I raised my hand. I'm like, you know, just give me the exposure. I'm willing to, you know, live in the desert and so on. So that's how I became a cable guy. So um, I shouldn't say a cable guy because it was mm. a hybrid, right? So I was, half of it was, it's just like the you know, Andy, you know what I'm talking about, HFC, right? Hybrid fiber <laughs> network, a coax network. So I was a hybrid. So I was, you know, half of my job was dealing with like the cable, 
you, you know, stuff like frequency division, multiplexing, coax, fiber. And the other half was dealing with the core of networking. So it's very much BGP, very much, you know, Sonnet at the time, mm. very much backbones. So, um, so it was a hybrid. Um, but I think the difference was that I was actually in the division. I was there, you know, um, driving around doing home pass. I was doing the planning. I was looking at the sub count. I was, uh, talking to the, the head end engineers about how, what's the uh, upstream downstream ratio and so on. So, um, so in a nutshell, that's what happened. Yeah, you you weren't a cable guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, I was. I no, was. Um, no, but I, working I really. <laughs> I was just going to say I didn't know what BGP was when I was a cable guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, by that time I was the. I think the reason I got hired was because uh, I already got my MP back then. So. Um, you know, so they thought I knew some stuff. I didn't know anything, but you know, they, they thought I, I could, I could learn if I, if I put my mind to it. So they gave me the option. They gave me the chance to, to learn and grow into the job. I just think there's a valuable yeah. lesson in there. You try different things, right? You know, through your internships and you're able to, you know, a finance major to wind up in tech, I think is pretty cool. And, you know, you were able to do that by investigating different things and being curious. So it's, when I hear cable guy to like Python author guru, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> how did you do that? So thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think people will find that helpful. Yeah. So I think, I think it's, so Eric, it's, um, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I, I was just going to say it's, um, it's, it's crucial to just try different things because you could read all about it as you as much as you want. You could uh, talk about it as much as you want. But um, until you go there and do it on a day in and day out basis, you don't know what this is about. So I was very glad to to have that mindset and just try out different things and eventually found out. Um, and I was super lucky to find the things I, I want to do early on. So I don't, you know, go go take all these uh, this path that you know, I might end up maybe regret or going back on, but sorry to cut you off, AJ, go ahead. No, 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 quite, quite all right. Quite all right. So um, w- one thing I wanted to, to do is, is I, I think while you were explaining your journey, I think I, I heard you say you worked at AWS and Azure. Uh, so I, I kind of want to pivot a little bit to w- what's it like working in the cloud? <laughs> it was it was really interesting. It was really fun. Uh, it was really tiring and uh, just um, you know uh, exhausting, I would say. But it was fun um, because remember, I joined in two thousand six. There was no cloud back then. It was it, Amazon was very much mm-hmm. a retail site, so they launched S three in two thousand six, okay. like March of two thousand six, and I joined in August of. Uh, 2006. So we knew the cloud was going, you know, like upper trend, but there was no way anybody could have predicted how big it was going to be. It was until the next year they launched EC2 and then it just kind of blew up. So what was really fun was this hockey stick growth and Anytime that you could join a service that has a hockey stick growth. So I was lucky enough to join, you know, Roadrunner when, you know, cable broadband was rolling out. Right. And then I was lucky enough to join AWS where cloud was taking off. So it was just so much learning and there's so much work to be done that you could be relatively inexperienced and just, you know, fresh out of college and it would put you down in like, 
multi-million dollar uh you know projects so it was really fun because it was in the early stage and um you know i was the team that launched uh cloudfront right like and i was the guy who uh and it was super fun to do that and i was the guy who eventually moved to like business development and negotiated a lot of the deals for um you know amazon's footprint on cloudfront you know was able mm-hmm. to go to China to get the integration with Joyo.com. Was able to negotiate deals with you know various telcos um, for you know footprints. That's that's where you learn a lot. So I would say it's very exhausting and tiring, but it's always very fulfilling. And professional growth was unparalleled. Um, and it was kind of the same thing with uh, Microsoft as well because when I joined Microsoft, you know. Azure was in its infancy. In fact, I think the automation bits was more on the Bing side. Um, they have this team. This is all public information, mm, okay. right? They have this team called Autopilot. So Autopilot was under Bing, which uh, which Chi Lu presides over. And they were, they were doing a lot of automation. And Azure was just recently got out of like the Red Dog stage, which was the code, the project code name, Red Dog. And they were trying to get their footings. So um, it was really fun to be in that early stage as well. It was kind of political being Microsoft and multiple billion dollar, you know, verticals. But um it was different learning experience, but I would say, you know, it's, it's, um, a lot of professional growth, but at the same time, you got to be willing to put in the hours. You got to be willing to put in, you know, the effort Mm -hmm. and all of that. And, um, I wasn't joking about, uh, burning out, right? Because after Azure and I was just so tired and my second daughter was born, I knew I wasn't, you know, I'm just not going to be put into the same amount of hours that I could before. So I went to like a, a very traditional enterprise network after Azure with like total of two network engineers. So <laughs> I was just to go from this, this whole totally different spectrum. It's like, okay, forget it. I, I'm just not, I'm so tired. I'm not even going to go to like Arista or these vendors. I'm just going to go and finish my job so I could go home at five and have dinner with my wife and, and uh, my young <laughs> kids. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my experience in a nutshell. How, how was that transition going from like Azure and AWS to a tradi- more traditional type enterprise network? Because my perspective, I've only been at an enterprise network, right? And yeah. so I, it's always like this, it's always like this magical world that, you know, oh my God, you work at AWS or, yeah. or <laughs> you're at Azure, you're at Microsoft, you know, like, you know, so I, I'm just curious, like, <laughs> what was the transition the opposite way? Yeah, um, it was, I, I, I hate to say this, but it was kind of boring. Um, so I, I went there and then I left <laughs> after three months. <laughs> Don't <laughs> do me like that. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to be transparent and honest, right? So, so it was almost like yeah, you're, you're moving on <laughs> a appreciate fast that. train and then you all of a sudden you, you went, you go to the station and everything just goes zoom. And it just all slowed down in like slow motion, right? So um, it was a bit boring for me. And um, eventually, I think I stayed there for like three months or four months, you know, barely stay out of my probation period. And then um, then I joined A10. So so it was turning out to be... So I wanted to find a happy medium, right? Between like, oh, it's, you know, whatever it is. And then um, 
you know, like life in the fast lane, right? I want to ha- find a happy medium. And, yeah, yeah, boring, uh, boring. Just go ahead and call it what it is. No, it was, um, it was a stable, right? So it, between something like really stable and then uh, something that was uh, not as fast as the cloud, like the speed of the cloud. Um, so, so I actually went, went to uh, mm. A10. So my friend was uh, one of my good buddy uh, joined A10. And so we were talking about, you know, the possibilities and, and all of that. And back then I think A10 was pre IPO. So of course that was like a big draw for me at the time. I've never worked for a company that was pre IPO and, um, you know, my, uh, my IPO dream. So I kind of, kind of checked that box. Very cool. Very cool. I, I, I have to imagine that's like, I, I, I'm not really into drugs, but this is the thing that I can relate it to, right? Like, so, you know, working for a large company like Azure or AWS has got to be like being on some, some killer drugs, man. And then you (laughs) you take a step back to, to like a, uh, uh, a smaller company. And it's just like, you know, I, what is this? AJ, your point of references, uh, hard drugs. <laughs> I, 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 I'm telling you, like I, I really, you know, I, I didn't really know what else to liken it to here, but I, I just, it's, it's just like it's tickling so many senses to work at a large company like that at the speed and the pace and the scale, and then to come back down. And those would be your withdrawals, okay? All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm on the same page. He's like, he's like, he's saying AWS and Azure is like cocaine, and then a traditional enterprise network is like Benadryl. <laughs> <laughs> AWS is a hell of a drug. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and my friends listening, but um, uh, but I would say also, you know, of they're both they're both good companies, right? Like enterprise, and they're all valid work that um that is valuable to the society. But what I also think is it takes a certain type of personality and certain type of like adrenaline junkie almost to in order to sustain like 10 years yeah, in a cloud yeah, environment yeah. right so so if you yeah. put that into a context so it's, it wasn't that the ba- the job was bad the the enterprise job was bad or boring it was just the person that i was or the person that i am it wasn't a good fit you know what i'm saying so it's like it's it's mm. really about more about fit it wasn't about the job was bad um so i, I just want to make that clear i'm not trying to you know make anybody feel better or anything sure. i'm just trying to be honest and say well you know it, uh, oh it, no no it, yeah. I, and i i wasn't saying it was bad or, or good it was just just sure. different right like you, yeah. you you know you you're working for a such a large company that at, at the speed and the scale that they were moving and growing aws and then you step yeah. back to a, a normal company, right? The majority of the companies, and it's just such a smaller scale, comparatively speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Like even even yeah. if the company you were at moved at a quicker pace than, than other companies, it maybe didn't seem that way because of where you came from. You know, having experienced what you experienced. Yeah, and also I want to also point out that just that, um, that kind of like relativity. It was also a uh, a different time period for AWS, right? So I know. AWS is like it's always day one, but trust me, you know it's 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 a different time when you're experiencing that 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 growth in initially versus now AWS is like you know this thing that everybody knows about. Imagine like I had to go to uh, Nanog uh, multiple times in uh, AppNick or whatever, and I have to explain to people what the cloud was, and like p- the first thing people ask me is like, well, what? Why do I want to put my data in your in, on your computer and what about security like what about like mm-hmm. you know vlans yeah. and what about all these other stuff so so it was a very different time um and 
yeah, it was just, it was just exciting times for me. And, um, like I said, the professional growth was really, really huge. Um, made the biggest leap, I would say in, you know, both of those locations. Yeah. But I think also too, and I think you've kind of hinted to this a little bit, but being part of something that's brand new that no one else has, you know, there's, there's some excitement around that, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if, if we were coming up with some technology and we were the only people who were doing this, I could see the excitement there of like, well, shit, I want to see this thing through, you know, see, uh, be the latest and greatest on this. Um, so I can definitely understand that perspective. Yeah. How many times can you say I'm the person, I'm the original team that launched you know, the so-and-so service, right? Um, or, you know, you can mm-hmm. only do that once, really. Um, so I, I could I could emphasize with people who are, you know, just hop from startup to startup because you don't, you don't get that rush anywhere else. It's like you're on a mission, right? You're on a mission yeah. to launch the cloud. You're on a mission to... Uh, to get the service rolling, you 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 truly believe that this is going to change the world, and you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, so, eighty hour work week yeah. it is. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Hey, A1 fans, AJ here for NetAlly. You ever heard of NetAlly? Sure you have. They came from the same group of engineers that brought us network tools from Fluke Networks, NetScout, and now they're NetAlly. They know networking. I'm a network engineer for a partner, and when I go to customers and see they use NetAlly, I know it's going to be so much easier to troubleshoot issues we might run into. The name may have changed to NetAlly, but the way they build tools hasn't changed a bit. They ask, what would a network engineer want to help make their job faster and easier, and then they go build it, just like this Etherscope NXG. NetAlly is here to help. NetAlly. Simplicity. Visibility. Collaboration. Visit NetAlly.com today. Now back to the show. Eric, I, I want you to put your educator hat on for a minute. And okay. you talked about earlier wh- when people are learning automation, abstraction, orchestration to, to find context. So I want to ask you something that it's going to be a very similar question that I asked John Capobianco when he was on here. And it was, what's your advice for for people getting started? So, So traditional network engineers, we can say, Hey, go pick up a Network Plus book, go check out the CCNA, and it'll kind of step you through different topics that, that you kind of need yeah. to know to become a network engineer. Would you go grab a would switch? Would you suggest something similar with automation? Go pick up, automate the boring stuff, pick up your book, obviously, or do you really think you need to find that context first? Find that thing that you need to fix or the thing that you need to do first before you get into the fundamentals? Yeah, that was a great episode, by the way. I enjoyed John's episode very much. He's so passionate and he's like, everybody's his best friend. And you could mm-hmm. just like, even through virtually, you could feel <laughs> yeah. his passion off the screen. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't remember John's answer, but my answer would be, yes, you, 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 want, to, you want to find that small win first. It's, it's so demotivating when you hit that wall and you don't really know, you know, why you're doing this, right? Just because somebody else, you know, tell you that it's great just because, you know, somebody said this is going to increase your paycheck by, you know, 20%. Those don't fly when you're like banging your head against the wall at 2 a.m. in the morning, right? However, but if you could find a small win, if you could solve a problem for you and you only, um, that'd be great. That's it. That's the biggest motivator. 
And the bonus point is if you solve the problem for your team, right? So I remember I was mm. um, just doing this for myself. I was writing some small script. And so to help me, you know, uh, do some operation in the lab. And one day we hit a problem and it's a very, very bizarre problem where um, I'll, I'll quickly describe this problem because I, I think it will put into better context. So the problem was, you know, the upstream, we utilize BGP for ECMP, but, um, but the problem was the vendor had a bug where they're not low balancing the, the uh, distribution correctly, even though the AS path was the same. So what we ended up needing to do was to do something really weird. It's like we need to do an AS prepend on the odd number of switches or something like that, right? So, and um, mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote programmers in the team, they didn't have a way to do that quickly. And um, I was like, hey, I have this like small, tiny, like really, you know, uh, script that I just wrote. And maybe I'm able to just do that quickly, right? I, I'll just, I remember this was like either Paramico or PXpect. Just lo- I just able to just specify the switch, log into it, put in the ASN prepend, and then move on to the next switch and so on and so forth. And it wasn't even great. It was like sequential. It wasn't doing anything fancy, but it solved the solved the problem. And um, right there and then, I was I was sold. Right, like these these uh, these programmers who are very talented, who are hired by one of the big software companies in the world, um, rely on my this little sucky little script <laughs> to solve a problem. And I couldn't describe the feeling of like fulfillment. So I, w- I would say that's, that's, I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's the biggest motivation for me was to solve my own problem. And at the same time, perhaps solve other people's problem as well. And, um, and that goes into, like you said, Tim, like put the educator hat on, right? So I want to share that, that fulfillment. I want to have other people feel the same way too. Um, so I just, you know, put it down and feel free. And yeah, the, the book costs money, but the code is actually free, right? The code is actually just public. So anybody who wants to grab a, a piece of that code, you know, feel free to do so. And I, I, I wish you, you know, I, I wish you could feel that same feeling that I, I felt before. Very cool. Very cool. I, I'd like to uh, spend some time. You're you're working on a new book, uh, and so I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit, if you could. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Look at this. I even have a print copy, Uh-oh. even though this was a self-published. I was about to say, uh-huh. I don't think you had that the other day, did you? <laughs> no. So I had like a digital copy. Yeah. So um, so this is again like I typically um, so first of all, I want to take take uh i want to have a faster pace of publishing because you know um mastering python networking was great but it covers so much and technology moves so fast there's a time that i want to update like a portion of it but i wasn't able to wait to the next Mm. edition to print out and so on so whereas this time when i write this kafka up and running book um I, I do it through LeanPub. So anybody who had purchased the book is able to get the latest update. And um, I'm able to do a, more, a lot more experiment. So this book, I uh, discounted to like $4.99. So, you know, for the price of less than a latte, you could, you know, pick up the book and hopefully uh, be useful to you. If nothing else, you just, you know, gain, gain a, a new doorstop, right? Um, but... 
uh, yeah, so that that's a new book that that I worked on. Um, this I I think Kafka is kind of a niche topic in the network engineering uh, field. So um, I also want to use this book to to gain the experience, and so I could elaborate on other projects. But this is uh, so far I'm I'm uh, liking the the experience of you know fast iteration and feedback back to the DevOps principle, right? In order for me to get a feedback really quickly, um, and also this book was—it's uh, only like 160 pages, as opposed to like mastering Python networking. It gets bigger, bigger mm. every edition, um, like 600 pages or so. So, um, yeah. So that's that's the uh, kind of the new experience I am trialing. It's kind of a science project for me, but thanks for uh, thanks for bringing it up. And of what's course, it called again? I, it's okay. called. Uh, Kafka up and running for network DevOps. So Kafka is this new technology. So, so what is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Kafka is this new technology that we picked up and it's definitely not for day one operation. It's not something that you take and then you go implement and solve a problem, uh, solve a, a customer facing problem or a user facing problem. This is basically a, a big buffer in the middle for services to talk to. So imagine if you build a service, like a web service, for example, and you have a bunch of users that comes in and the users, typically your information doesn't reside on that one server. Typically your information reside on other mm -hmm. servers, like a database that you query information from, other APIs that you query from. Um, and imagine if you take that service and duplicate that like 10 times, and then that mesh becomes all the service that you have to talk to. So it becomes a spaghetti of a mess. Um, whereas Kafka would come in and say, what you want to do is your service was subscribed or published. So it's the publish publisher subscriber model where you could publish to a topic and anybody who needs this topic would just subscribe to this topic and Kafka would take care of like redundancy hmm. duplication of that topic and uh, multiple subscribers which is a huge thing that when you implement the service like this it's like if I have five subscribers and these are like credit card transactions for example right what I need to do is either the subscriber have to coordinate between themselves and say, I already processed this transaction so nobody else should, or um, the tool or your source have to say, I already passed the information on to A, to AJ, so Dan, you're not getting this information, right? But that becomes a nightmare when you have multiple sources and you have multiple consumers. So what Kafka does is you just mm. publish to this topic and Kafka will be in charge of you know, low balancing between the consumers. Say the consumer, like five consumers, one died, and then you know, uh, I need to distribute it to the rest of the consumers. So they could, Kafka takes, in, uh, takes charge in make sure like the, the data was only passed once, low balancing the data, make the data redundant, um, you know, and all of that stuff. So there's also a, it's an open source project and there's also a, a page that just, you know, pages and pages of the companies who uses Kafka and um, what their use cases are. So Netflix is a huge Kafka user. They actually have like, you know, I, I grabbed the stat and I put it in the book. It's like something like a billion transactions a day or something like that. So every time you like pause mm -hmm. a video, Whoa. it's actually written to a topic. 
Um, and also like the ordering of messages, right? So typically your topic, you'd be order and be persistent um, on the timing basis. So, you know, Netflix and LinkedIn. So this project was started by LinkedIn. So Netflix, LinkedIn, Uber Eats, they all publish how they use Kafka. And usually is when you have like mm. a mash of services that has... Um, you know, bunch of publishers, bunch of subscribers, and you need to make sure the data integrity, redundancy, and all of all of the good stuff that you normally expect in a uh, a scaled out services. So, what I also you know, besides introducing this tool, was also to put into a network engineering context, right? Like, so how does it how is it relevant to network engineers? Is it uh, just for log aggregation? Is it for monitoring? Is it for management? And all of that. So I don't think I did a good job on the second part on, you know, the relevance for network engineering, but hopefully I did a good enough job on the first part that, you know, you're able to take this into your own, own service and all that. But just from listening to that, I think you guys be get creative the idea. with it. Exactly. Um, so I think you guys um, could tell yeah. like this is not a day one service, right? Like this is this is not something that you build an API from. This mm-hmm. is not something you build a web page from. It's when after you build a web page, after you build an API, you know, you start to scale it out. Then you start to worry about all these other stuff. So I, I want to make that clear. Um, I don't want to mislead anybody who wants to, to buy this book. Um is that this is definitely a day two service. Um, but if nothing else, it's it's a good hmm. technology to be aware of just because it's so prevalent um, in these, you know, Web 2.0 uh, world. Now, let me ask this. Um, is that similar to Zool? I'm not very familiar with, with Zool. Okay, all right. Yeah, the way but- you're describing it sounds a lot like how, what my knowledge of Zool is. And, and that's not a lot. So, <laughs> but it just sounds like it. Did you just make so, up a word, Dan? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, we believe you. <laughs> no, but, um, but it's a, it's a very yeah, common service. No one knows. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a common service, right? So in, um, it's a very common uh, yeah. publisher subscriber model. It's just that it's one way of doing publisher <laughs> subscriber. Um, so you could you could actually go to like Amazon Web Services. You go to Azure. You know they have they offer this PubSub. Yeah. Um, I think uh, AWS is called uh, Kinesis. Um, but anyways, I covered that in the book, and you know um, is these mm. PubSub model that you could do. Um, but Kafka just does it in a more open source, more uh, transparent way, I feel. Um, so these guys actually, so mm. the three creators of Kafka used to work for LinkedIn and they created this project, they open sourced it and they went on and co-founded Confluent and Confluent just went IPO um, earlier in 2011. Uh, I'm sorry, 2021. What year am I? Uh, 2021. And um, so the, the street really liked them a lot. So that's, uh, you know, don't take it from me, right? Take it from all these financial analysts and they're yeah, now yeah, a public yeah. company. So you can look, look at their run rate, look at who their customers are, who their threats are. Um, so very much like Elastic, right? So Confluent, Elastic, these are companies, uh, back to our content creation conversation, that they're now starting to, you know, uh, bank on the open source project and make profit for it. So I'm very excited about these two projects, Elastic and, um, you know, Kafka. Okay, can you give us some network engineer context? You know, what, what, where might we see Kafka 
from a network engineering perspective? Yeah, so I think the most obvious is monitoring and uh, te- uh, tele- uh, telephony, right? Like not telephony, but um, uh, monitoring and telemetry. Telemetry, sure. Yeah, so like it, it just say, for example, if you grab at SNMP stats, right? So I don't know about you guys, but previously in many of the places I worked, uh, whenever somebody needs stats from the networking device, they just pull the networking device. It was uh, it was easier for them to just go to pull the networking device than to talk to other teams who was already doing the the polling, right? Because because um, they don't talk to each other. So <laughs> so we ended up having like five SNMP polls from the device and. As you guys know, SNMP pool is in the control plane and you need to interrupt the data plane and your CPU just spike up. So there are times where we have like these high CPU spike just from SNMP pools. So imagine if you have a Kafka topic in mm. place where you just pull the, pull the information once, store in Kafka and tell these other, you know, fools that, hey, if you want that information, just go subscribe to it. <laughs> Right. And uh, and call it a day. Um, so that's one thing. Um, you know, you just a very basic, you know, pop sub. But also imagine that mm-hmm. very much in our world where when we have that information, SMP, for example, we need to enhance that data. So it becomes a pipeline where, you know, we need to take that IP address. Maybe we need to go pull like like our source of truth to to say which data center it's in. Maybe we, we need to pull like, you know, financial information to get the asset ID, to get the serial number. We enhance that data and then publish it to the next next topic. And then we take that new topic, transform, enhance that data and publish to a third topic. So whoever is interested in the raw data could subscribe to the first topic. Whoever is interested in the second set of data could subscribe to this topic and the, you know, so on and so forth. And you become a data pipeline. In fact, the, um, the subtitle for this book is called set your network data in motion. So it's really about like not just the, the the publisher and subscriber. We already have that technology. It's a solved problem, but it's more about like treating this data in a new way where it's always flowing, always transparent. It's always being enhanced and uh, added or deleted. Um, so monitoring is, uh, you know, monitoring is the most obvious, but also, you know, if you have, a, a huge chunk of uh, sources like your IoT, right? Maybe you have some sensors where, you know, these sensors mm. are counting the steps the cow, you know, step on because they, that, you know, that's very crucial information for, you know, uh, the, the timing and so on. So then you have this huge amount of services. So instead of having them all talk to in real time for an API to do a post, which they might not even be able to do, that they could do, they could just aggregate it into a topic, and then that topic could further be processed for, you know, like uh, short-term visibility or long-term uh, data analysis. But it's all just dumping once as opposed to having a different service that aggregate them uh, at another time. So I think these two are, you know, kind of the, the use cases that I could think of. Um, like I said, I don't think I did a very good job in expanding the network engineering use cases, but Hey, it's self-published. So if I think of more, I could just publish it and then people would get the latest update. (laughs) There you go. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and I appreciate what you're doing there too. Like you said, like something that's low risk, you want to learn the process. And then that way, as you, you know, get better at it, you understand that this iterative uh, world of, of book publishing, uh, then you can go to, you know, higher stakes, you know, topics and, and produce some more books, which I'm, which I'm sure you're going to do. So. Yeah. So that's the, that's the hope anyways. But, um, you know, as our conversation shows, you know, I'm always trying out new things and sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't, but you know, the effort is always there, always there. Excellent. Well, Eric, you are quite a busy content creator. I'd like to pivot now and, and, uh, kind of discuss all the different things that you work on. Let's start with, uh, your podcast. Sure. Hey, thanks for bringing this up. So the podcast is called Network Automation Nerds Podcast. And uh, it's where I, a lot of times I talk to interesting people like you guys do. And I always, you know, even just for not for other people, just for myself, I always want to record them. And a lot of times I think back and go, well, you know, I just talked to John Capobianco about something. And what was it? And like, I wanted to capture that moment. And I wanted to capture you know, the, the, uh, intelligence and the knowledge that they have. So, you know, that was part of the, um, the, the motive. And also you guys motivated me, you guys inspired me to kind of do that. You know, I had the pilot episode like 2017, I want to say, and then just kind of quiet, just crickets for the next four (laughs) years. And then I saw you guys, I'm like, this is great, right? Like, this is such a great community. I want to, you know, just contribute to it as well. So what's the best way for me to do that? It's almost like, okay, well, just, you know, let me go, go find these guys or, or, you know, my ex coworkers or people who are in the, like, like Dan, you, you were saying about cloud providers, right? Let me just go ahead and get some of my guys from Microsoft before and tell, tell, tell them how it is, right? Like how, how was it in launching, you know, like a, a Azure service or, or whatnot? So, so that's the origin story of the podcast. Um, hopefully, you know, I don't know. My, my biggest fear is always like, I don't do it consistently and, um, you know, but so hopefully I could stick, stick to it this time. Like you guys have done. <laughs> we'll keep on you (laughs) (laughs) you you keep you keep on us we'll keep on you all right that's a deal (laughs) awesome and and you're also uh very active in the in the blogging world too yeah so um so what i did was i took a page out of uh michael kennedy from talk python so i think starting this year he uh when he record his podcast he actually record video as well so you know because of the pandemic people are more and more used to having videos uh with your talk to a screen they have better lighting they have better cameras um so what i did was i just copy what he did and went ahead so whenever i record um i will capture the video as well and it comes in handy because sometimes you know, when you talk to somebody, you know, you want to pull up the web page or if you're talking about like a project that they're working on, it was pretty handy to, you know, pull up, you know, whatever information that's relevant. And so it's a different way for people to consume the same content. Um, a lot of times, you mm-hmm. know, um, when I, you know, there are times when I listen to Michael's podcast, it's like, oh, darn, I wish I'm watching the YouTube video because they're showing these cool stuff on the screen. And I would like pause that and then listen to the next episode. And this original episode, I would go watch the video. Um, so that's that's what I've started to do. But also the um, the intention to expand on that as well. Um, I think I think there's a, a lot I could do as far as um, 
getting more people involved and having an easier free on-ramp for you know Python network automation. And that's the that's the hope. And that's part of the very selfish reason where I reach out to you guys and say, um, you know, what are you guys working on? How can I help? Is a very selfish reason to make sure I still solve a relevant problem, right? Like I still um in touch with the practitioners in the field to, you know, so after aggregating those data, what I wish is to turn around and say, um, here's, you know, maybe a playlist or here's the, the relevant content that you guys could do. So that's the next step for the YouTube channel. So besides all the podcast recording is to have, you know, some sort of tutorial, some sort of playlist for people to consume if they wanted to. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Hey, that's some more secret sauce there because there's a symbiotic relationship, Eric. Like you're you're saying, hey, what's going on? How can I help? But then for my seat, I was like, wow, this automation guru is going to like help me learn Python. So it's symbiotic, right? You're you're reaching out to help people, but then you're getting help too. So that's just I, I don't know, man. That's that's really but then awesome. That's going to help in the future as well, too. So yeah, right. You know, I for mean, the, the next people. Right. Let me get on my soapbox for a second. I think we should all be doing that. Like, how can we help each other? What's going on? Because it mm-hmm. really, it's it's working, right? It's, that's really cool. Yeah. And that's what I like about you guys. It's like, it, it was never about just you. Um, I appreciate that, by the way. You know, Tim, AJ, Dan, Andy, everything you guys do is like, you know, you guys built this great culture, a great community. Like I said, you know, I've, I've joined other communities, but this is the one I decided to stick around with. Um, just like I've joined, you know, I've tried to learn other languages, but Python sticks to my brain better. So I think this one just fits my personality better. And thank you guys for doing this. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, thank you very much, Eric. We A lot of bromance here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it happens a lot, you know, uh, it's... It's just, uh, you know, content creators, network engineers. It's, got, it's, it's something in the air. It happens a lot. I love it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Eric, this has been a, a super fun conversation. Is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have? Is there anything else that you, you're working on now on the side that we should discuss? No, I think it's pretty much it. It's been a very fun conversation for me as well. You know, you guys feel free to reach out to me if um, there's any questions. I'm always creating content. So, um, you know, uh, let me know if if there's any ideas that you guys want to uh, hear more about. Um, and, um, you know, I'll be happy to entertain the idea. You know, it has to be a right fit too, right? Like if you ask something about I have no idea sure. about, then... <laughs> then I, I can't but um, it's been fun thank you guys again and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, thank you for the patrons who stayed you know all the way till the end and um, thanks guys <laughs> awesome well uh, yeah the patrons definitely make this a little bit more fun so if uh, you want to join the patreon program with Eric and all the rest you can go to patreon.com forward slash art of net and join us every week when uh, we are recording the shows. You can chat with us. You can chat with the guest. Add your two cents, and we'll read it here as we record the show. Uh, Eric, I will drop links to all of your social presences and blog posts and podcasts, uh, the books, uh, and your YouTube channel. We'll put all of that in the show notes. So um, if you want to check out either of Eric's books or his current works, you may do that just with the single click of a button or tap of your thumb or finger, however you get around the internet these days. Um, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. And, and really, we appreciate the, 
support that you give our community and uh, you can absolutely expect the same in return. Thanks guys. It's been fun. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks Eric. And uh, congratulations again, Andy, for your new victory, your new job at Juniper and um, (laughs) (laughs) the goat plays for Andy. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I love it. I think we'll, we'll definitely dive into that in uh, in a future topic. All right. Everybody, I am AJ Murray. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Art of Network Engineering podcast. Vote for AJ. Don't do drugs. Hey, everyone. This is AJ. If you like what you heard today, then make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Smash that bell icon to get notified of all of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of Net Eng. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on the web at artofnetworkengineering.com, where we post all of our show notes. You can read blog articles from the co-hosts and guests, and also a lot more news and info from the networking world. Thanks for listening.